You're listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Benton, culture consultant and founder of Liberty Mind, and I want to inspire people to create unique company cultures where our human potential can thrive. In this podcast, I talk to organizations and employees about the impact of company culture. Together, we can make it thrive. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. How have you all been enjoying season six? If you've loved listening to this season, or maybe you've been checking out other seasons of the Make It Thrive podcast, then please don't forget to subscribe and also leave us a little review or even share it with someone else because the more we can get these ideas out there, the more company cultures we can change and the better we can make our world. So if you have been really enjoying this season, I would really appreciate you sharing the love. Today, I'm feeling a little emotional as this episode is the last in season six. Yes, season six is coming to a close already. And as this season has been about the future, what we need to be adopting, what actions we need to be taking to ensure our cultures can thrive in the future, I know that as we fast approach 2021, everything we've covered in this season is certainly going to become of massive use as we begin to look at how our businesses and our cultures adapt to the new way of working. Without a doubt, season six has been a joy to record. I've loved interviewing people who are already breaking the status quo of work and are adapting like a duck to water in these turbulent times. They really are giving us a big lesson in how our mindset and our actions should be during these times. However, the truth is, as we've heard, this will not be the first or last disruption that shifts our business in some way. So how on earth do you prepare for the future? There could be so many things that disrupt or shift us. Well, that's exactly what I'm talking about with today's guest, Debbie Sooner Ryan, founder of Gallus Consulting and author of Shapeshifter, How to Master the Art of Working with the Future. In this episode, we're opening up the box on the future and revealing how and why you should be adding future thinking into your business plan. So let's get started. Hi, Debbie, and welcome to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. Introduce yourself to our audience and what you do. Hi, Lizzie. Thank you for having me. Um, Well, I'm Debbie Sooner Ryan. Um, I tend to work nowadays with either organizations that are trying to disrupt um, their sector or market or are being disrupted. Um, And that's really come about as I've had a fascination with the future for as long as I can remember. So I'm a big sci-fi geek. Um, the habit was kind of initially inspired by the late, great Douglas Adams. So reading Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and all that kind of stuff. So the future's always fascinated me. You can't know it. You've kind of got to be an apprentice of it. So working with organizations that are either trying to navigate the future or shape the future is, is what I really love to do and, and helping them to work out, you know, what it might look like, what the opportunities and threats might be within that um, and how either their strategy is um, challenged by that or what strategic new choices might um, come about. 
Oh, I'm definitely a sci-fi fan too. So it's good to meet a fellow sci-fi fan. As well. <laughs> so planning for the future sounds like some kind of crystal ball thinking. It sounds very kind of ominous and something that um, maybe people have never even thought about before when it comes to their business or their company culture. So can you explain more about what it is and why it's so critical? Yeah, I think I think sometimes organisations and, and people get a bit hung up with the planning piece, actually. And I think sometimes that doesn't help. Um, I think really, if, if you look at how project management even has changed over recent years, years ago, big projects would be run on um, what's known as a waterfall basis. There'd be big um, outcomes that people would be aiming for quite a long way in the future and a, a massive plan of action and, and operational activities were, was put in place to try and achieve that. Whereas more recently, um, organizations have moved much more to an agile project management approach, which is kind of sprints, short sprints of activity based around a, a future vision that they're trying to achieve, but learning from the activity that they're taking. So I think really, if organizations can um, step back a little bit from that habit of planning and um, maybe work a little bit more with imagination, that can really, really help. And it's really, really important so that they can understand their existing strategy, understand some of the assumptions maybe that that's pinned upon, which maybe aren't that helpful and actually might be quite covert, quite hidden until they become a problem. Um, and also then start to work out some potential other options and, and look at what the future might hold. The, the reason it's so, so important is we're living in an environment now that's so fast changing. I mean, the speed of change is accelerating. And if we look around us at the moment, some of the stuff going on is, is really quite unbelievable. If we'd have looked at the current state of the world five years ago, you probably, well, you almost certainly wouldn't have predicted where it is right now. So this idea of VUCA, you know, volatile, unpredictable, um, the complexity, ambiguity, is, is all around us and it, it's I always call it like a post-truth post fast show <laughs> and and that that's hard to navigate so the more that you can look into the future and and play around with what it might be the more helpful that is so it gives you kind of you know it, it exercises the creativity and imagination of the people and the organization it kind of gets those those thoughts and, and muscles firing um, you get to learn a lot about individuals beliefs and values um, preferences, experiences, all of those sorts of things, even prejudices, actually, that, again, can be quite buried. People don't always realize that they have them. Um, awareness of other people's perspectives, you know, a real understanding. So that builds self-awareness, individual awareness. It also builds team awareness and organizational awareness. Um, and it gives a really good appreciation of the present. So quite often when you look into the future, you find that actually some of the elements that you're dealing with in the present, you didn't quite understand um, or you didn't have a shared understanding of. So quite often the, the business model, for example, when, when we start to look at the future, we look at the existing business model um, and it quite often comes about that there are problems with that existing business model, even in the present, and that actually a, a team of senior leaders have a really different view of what that business model actually is when compared with one another, which is interesting in and of itself. Um, and of course, really importantly, is if you're looking into the future, you start to get some really powerful process learning that even if the future isn't what you maybe expected it to be or hoped it might be, 
you've already done some exercises with potential futures that mean that you've already done some of that thinking. So it's unlikely that exactly the future that you kind of played with will come about. It's probably going to be some kind of hybrid, but you would have exercised that kind of thinking process. So when you need to exercise it very quickly in maybe a crisis or a, a disruption in, in a market or a sector, you've already practiced that mental mindset. Yeah, and that, that can be incredibly helpful. It sounds almost, when, I, when as you're talking, it, things that come into my mind, Debbie, are things like, um, you know, almost like a stoic philosophy. You're kind of almost planning for the, what's the worst that could happen kind of situation. And I think sometimes when you when you look at that, it's, it actually gives you a bit more resilience as to what could happen. Because I think without a doubt, I mean, with the perfect example that we're sat in right now of, of COVID and here in the UK, you know, lockdown 2.0, um, you know, back in, I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine back in December and he's business is primarily in the Chinese market and he sort of said to me oh you know it's definitely going to come over here and I was thinking no no it won't I was so naive in my thinking but I think many businesses are like that we kind of tend to bury our head in the sand a little bit about these global things that could potentially impact us and and on such a varied scale as well you know you've got the environment you've got all sorts of other um, variants that could disrupt something do you is there a particular reason you think businesses aren't sort of thinking more about the future changes and what is the resistance that you sort of come across the most when you talk about this with with companies well there's a whole range of things actually um but I think what what you talk about there is really really important even before we get to the resistance against it the fact that doing this kind of thinking um and engaging in it builds agility and resilience it's a natural side effect of doing it yeah and it builds a much better understanding of existing strategy and maybe potential opportunities so the the temptation is very much to look at the future and see it as risk yeah or um, for some organizations they'll look at the future and see it as um, just a a beautiful field of opportunity well actually the future isn't either of those Mm. it's it's a mixture Um, and the quicker that an organization its people can kind of get their heads around whatever the future is no matter which kind of future it is um, there will be opportunities and threats in there the better the kind of resistance that um, I see I mean some of it you you wouldn't be surprised by I mean some of it is systemic like in any um, problem system so typically if you look at organizations the strategic conversation is latched to uh, very closely bound to the financial planning cycle and the budget preparation cycle particularly in big organizations and as that cycle happens throughout the year there comes a point where there's pressure to get that budget agreed Um, there's maybe pressure on the numbers and so on and so any kind of broader thinking more holistic thinking, maybe further out thinking gets stifled in there. So people start out with pretty good intentions quite often, but the process starts to um, shut the doors on that, probably halfway through, certainly if not before. So that kind of 
you know, being bound to that process can be the kiss of death to that kind of thinking. I know a lot of people say culture eats strategy for breakfast, but I actually think the budget planning process gets their way before culture ever does. Although the fact that the budget process has such power <laughs> in lots of organizations is a cultural phenomenon. So, you know, it's, it's all, all of it's joined up. It's all connected. Um, another thing I think is habit. Um, so there's quite a habit and over-reliance on the streams of data that an organization has always used and the streams of information and the kind of analysis that an organization has always used. Now, that's not to say that there isn't a space for good data, um, modeling, extrapolation of that data into the future. There is a space for that and it can do a lot of good. And you only have to look at the current situation with this awful pandemic to see how that can be incredibly useful. But um, it can lead you down a blind alley if you're not looking at a broad range of data and you're not questioning um, how that data is captured, um, how it's analysed and so on. And um, I think it was Einstein that said that the problem can't be solved with the same level of thinking that created it. So if you're always looking at the same data and you're always extrapolating that data in the same kind of modelling exercise as you always have, maybe using the same suite of analysts as you always have, there's all manner of um, boxes you're putting around that thinking, just habitual boxes you're putting around that thinking. So yeah, process, habit. Um, another big thing I see in organizations, particularly larger ones, is indigestion. Mm. So they've taken on so much, maybe um, a, a good example is like merger and, and acquisition activity. Um, or massive transformation programs. And as a result, they've become quite inwardly focused. They start navel-gazing. And that can really stop the powerful activity of horizon scanning and looking out and really trying to understand what's going on out there all of the time because there's so much going on in the organization. It's trying to eat that meal, if you like, and being consumed by it itself. So there are three big things. Others are more around um, human behavior and um, the kind of power structures and so on that we see in organizations. So if you look at the way strategy and strategic discussions happen typically in organizations, it tends to be people that are much more senior, mm. um, have particularly powerful roles in an organization that get, to, get together in a room that talk about it. Again, you've got inherent beliefs, experiences, um, habits that lead that conversation in a certain direction so you know really getting outside of that and having a far more inclusive strategic conversation is really important much more diverse group involved from much broader um, areas across the organization and even beyond potentially and taking a taking that theme of um, psychology if you like organizational psychology and culture to another level Organizations typically have an identity. Um, sometimes they're very aware of it. Others are less so, but it's there. And um, find it quite hard to get away from that identity sometimes. So the business model perhaps has been the business model for decades. And it's assumed that that will be the, the business model for decades more. And that's what we do. And that can be quite a dangerous place to be because actually the world changes, the world moves on. And if you're completely wedded to a particular identity and that identity is not going to be helpful anymore and you're not willing to reinvent yourself or question that, that can be an issue. So, so there's something about ego, identity, status that gets wrapped up in there. That kind of feeds a bit of a closed feedback loop, which is unhelpful. You know, just getting information that 
applauds and celebrates the views that you already have of what wow. the organization is doing. And then the biggest one, I think, is time. Just putting the time to it, thinking that it is valuable, thinking it's important and putting some real time and permission around it, helping people and allowing people to imagine, um, look at the future in a different way. Yeah, I must relate with you on some of those points as well, Debbie, because I think it's true that we, and even during this this you know COVID crisis we've seen, I've spoken to a few businesses who have held their hands up and said, you know, our biggest fault actually is as a leadership team, we've stepped back from our own team and tried to plan without them. And it's caused distrust. It's caused a lot of um, ideas or things that are actually not befitting to the very team that they're meant to help. Yeah. There's been this huge disparity and because that almost legacy way of deciding things in an organisational structure has actually caused more harm than good. Um, and like you say, we need everybody sort of involved in order to bring that diversity of thought. Yeah, it's really, really important. And it and it's scary. I know it's scary for, you know, a small group of people to open up that conversation much more broadly because it it brings a level of criticism potentially or questioning and challenge, but it's actually the only way to really have a deep, meaningful um, strategic dialogue that will result in some fabulous potential options for the future. It, you know, it takes effort and it takes discomfort and it also takes disagreement. Disagreement is good in a strategic discussion, constructive disagreement. You know, you don't want to be arguing all over the place in a, in a not particularly helpful way. But um, if you can get to a place where it's OK to turn around to say, I completely disagree with that strategic choice and here's why. Can we talk about it? That's really powerful because okay, it might be that, you know, upon discussion, the strategic choice remains, but it could be that someone spotted a real flaw that, that needs to be talked about. And all too often, you I'm, I'm sure you've experienced the same, you go into organisations, you talk to people, um, and I don't necessarily like the phrase, but on the ground, if you like, mm. um, who can tell you what's going wrong Yeah, um, and feel like they're not being listened to particularly. And it's really, really important. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's really quite an interesting one. And I think there's a lot to do. Like you say, I think we're not maybe um, coached enough within our organisations to have those challenging conversations. It's not mm. something that we're maybe used to. So, um, I mean, I've just recently really got into um, Brené Brown's Dare to Lead podcast. Mm -hmm. um, and I highly recommend to anybody in a leadership position or even in an organization and she explains fantastically in that podcast about how too many organizations have a nice problem so it's like oh everyone's so nice here and it's like well that's because yeah. everybody's talking about each other not to each other about yep, the problems yep, yep. and I see that so often everyone's like oh we have a great culture but then everyone's kind of moaning and gossiping in the canteen or you know in the photocopy yeah, so room <laughs> Yeah, it really is. Um, I mean, yeah. with this whole um, sort of situation, especially, I mean, I suppose COVID really is like a lot of people have said to me, you know, um, I mean, of course, it has been detrimental to so many businesses without a doubt. Um, but I also feel like it's almost been a catalyst for better conversations about you know, things like culture and things like actually taking future planning seriously for a change rather than it kind of being this pie in the sky thing and um, this fluffy thing. I'm, I'm sure you've probably 
come across that in the past people thinking it's Mm -hmm. fluffy work it's not really tied to you know business goals or strategy it's all just fluffy um because I think you know if we would have sort of taken ourselves a, a year ago and said oh a global pandemic is going to just you know close the world down you've kind of got you would have gone absolutely not that's ridiculous um but what are some of the sort of out there scenarios that come up in future planning from from your experience interestingly when you work with a group um it's quite rare for out there scenarios to come up so people actually find it much harder to um imagine beyond the current paradigm of existence if that makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah so people kind of that there's a bit of a trap where people think that that's a bit too outlandish i'm not going to imagine that Um, and i spend quite a lot of my time saying actually no let's imagine that you know what might that Mm -hmm. mean so you know some of the some of the wackiest maybe I don't know might be alien invasion yeah and and clearly you know you don't want to sit and and look at um, a potential scenario that actually might be so out there that wouldn't necessarily have an impact on your market or sector or if it did would just shut it down Mm. entirely yeah yeah having said that sometimes having a conversation about um, something that that really is quite extreme draws you back to a middle ground of something that's less extreme. So, I don't know, meteor impact, solar flare, those sorts of things, they could happen. Yes, they're incredibly unlikely. They could happen. More importantly, some of the effects that might come from something like that happening could come from other catalysts. So it's it's not a wasted conversation to explore them. So, for example, the, the pandemic we're currently in, supply chains have been shut down. Um, you know, global travel has been curtailed in a way that none of us probably could have imagined. There's, there's all sorts of repercussions that had you looked at um, maybe the way we had been viewing pandemics, which ultimately was based on the flu virus, Um, And again, you know, if I look back over the last 15 years, many organizations I know have gone through lots of exercises around how they would deal with a flu pandemic. This pandemic's different. Mm. Um, Actually, looking at some of those more outlandish scenarios might have given some kind of indication of what might happen if the supply chain completely shuts down for whatever reason it is. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that looking at some of the more challenging scenarios gets you to think about is things maybe you don't want to think about. So, um, for example, global conflict. No one wants to think about conflict. No one wants to talk about the potential for conflict on a mass scale and the impact that might have and how you might need to be ready for that or how it might change the geopolitical landscape over a period of time. But if we look at the world, there is always an element of conflict going on. So it's, again, a useful conversation to have. Um, Like I said, I found that people find it more challenging to go that far. So if I look back a few years um, working with leadership teams, I would be saying things like, let's let's have a look at if a, I don't know, a socialist, very socialist government came um, into the UK, got voted in the UK, what that might mean for your business. And people say to me, it's just not going to happen. No, it didn't happen. But actually what the pandemic has resulted in is quite a lot of economic policy making that is quite aligned to some socialist ideas so actually having thought through some of those um, impacts might have been quite useful now I understand that 
you know, we've also got the added complexity of the pandemic and the management of that and, and the, um, you know, the medical emergency and so on alongside that. But thinking through some just some of these different lines of thought sometimes can be really, really interesting and just take you out of yourselves and take the organization out of itself, escape that identity and, and look at what that might mean. Mm. Well, it's so fascinating, Debbie, that example as well, because it's like you say, some of these things are, are only feel like they're in a sci-fi film you know I mean um, it's quite amusing that even you know um COVID you know there's plenty of examples in films that kind of represented this um and and yet sometimes actually looking at those scenarios like you say could actually open up so much insight into even your existing business model yeah very much so it's so fascinating. Yeah. I mean, if COVID did teach us anything, I think it's that change can happen so quickly. I mean, yeah. what do you think our biggest lessons from COVID should be? Oh, there are so many. <laughs> there really are so many. And they keep coming, don't they? I mean, you, oh, yeah. every day <laughs> you, you watch what's going on and you think you've got a bit of a grip on it. Yeah. And, and that, that's one of the biggest lessons. None of us know what's next. Yeah. That's one of the biggest, biggest lessons. Just when you think you've got a knowledge of what's going on and, um, you know, real clarity of what's going on, something changes and that's inevitable. And being comfortable with that, being comfortable with not knowing, I think mm-hmm. is um, a huge leap and, and is actually really quite helpful for people. So, but you can play around with, you know, reasonable assumptions and reasonable scenarios and think, okay, you know, what, what are five ways this, this might go now and how might that operate? Um, like you say, things can change overnight. So accepting that, understanding that, being willing to make U-turns and lane changes. So I know that, you know, whatever your political views, a lot of politicians at the moment are coming under a lot of pressure about U-turns. And I think, unfortunately, are trying to hide the fact they're making U-turns. <laughs> um, I, I, personally, I think it's actually quite helpful when people come out and say, we've now learned something else and we need to make a change in the way that we're approaching this. Um, personally, I don't see anything bad in that as long as you're upfront about it and you're honest about it and it's based on some form of um, information that you're getting and that you can talk about that that shows a learning process and that's really powerful I think what's unfortunate is where people feel they can't make a u-turn and worse still feel they have to hide the fact um, and and do hide the fact it's not helpful and it causes all sorts of issues Um, I think a lack of imagination um, as well makes situation is quite unworkable so again at every turn in this um, if you applied some imagination as to what might come next some of the really obvious um, pitfalls and mistakes probably might have been prevented if you'd had enough people in the room yeah yeah, thinking what just really might happen um, I think you know some of those conversations might have actually at least made people question whether they could be as certain about um, the the decisions they were making and so on. And that, again, leads to that big lesson that co-creation and cohesion are really, really important, particularly in times of change. The more people you can get involved in the debate, and again, I know it it slows things down potentially, but sometimes going slower gets you there faster. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and you're much more aligned, you're much more cohesive, you're much more able to... Um, talk about it in an informed way and and help to lead people through it I think the big thing maybe that isn't obvious yet 
yes, it's um, the whole situation has created massive change. It's really accelerated some of the changes that were coming anyway. So things like, um, you know, home working, flexible working and so on, mm. they were on their way, but, yeah. you know, really on their way, but this really changed. The culture in organisations has changed massively towards that. But there will also be seeds of things that we can't even yet really see. Yeah. We can't yet quite understand from our present viewpoint mm. um, that will start to bubble up and make themselves aware um, or make us aware of them, I should say. The biggest one, I think may- maybe the most hopeful one out of the whole thing is that it shows that we can change our behaviours. If, if we come together yeah. and we have a will to do something, um, you know, a will to act in a certain way or think in a certain way or to make some sacrifices for the greater good, we can actually affect massive change. And that should, um, I hope, give some confidence and some power to some of the other wicked problems, you know, really complex problems that maybe don't have obvious solutions that we're grappling with. So you mentioned climate change, perfect example. It, it's this process, this whole experience, as horrible as it is, has shown that um, there can be quite a big effect on climate change if there are changes in behavior and thoughts and attitudes mm. all done in a cohesive way. Um, so I think there are some lessons to be learned there about how maybe we approach some of these really big problems in the future too. Yes, definitely. No, I really agree. That's some really good points there, Debbie. And like you say, I think much has happened to accelerate some things that maybe needed to be accelerated that we were perhaps all being a bit too cautious around. Um, I'd certainly agree with the flexible and remote working one. I mean, that was taking an absolute age to try and um, get more organisations to adopt. Mm. And, you know, their hand was forced in this situation. Um, So really, it's it's interesting to see what will come up over even maybe the next year that we're not even aware of right now. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, with future proofing, it feels to me like, you know, this is something every business should be doing. It's something that that everybody should be looking at because it's almost quite naive to think that um, what is happening, you know, in the day to day is, oh, that's all that that's ever happening. But, you know, there is slow, even slow change going behind and going on in the background. Um, I even often give the example of the fact that, you know, our workforce is dramatically changing. And even Mm. the fact that we're going to have the most multi-generational workforce in all of history. So it's kind of even small things like that that people have never really considered are all going on in the background um, in society. What would your advice be to even a small business um, who are thinking about future proofing and becoming adaptable? I think a lot of it is in your own behavior. Yeah. And, and almost trying to get your own head in a different place. And then that starts to um, become contagious to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it be, people notice that. So a big one for me, I, I'm an absolute bookworm. Anyone that knows me knows I'll always have my head in a book um, or, or read in some kind of paper or what have you. So I would say read a lot, read, read as much as you can, um, but don't just get stuck into your professional technical journals for your particular sector or line of business or whatever. Um, you know, read fiction, read, read some unusual fiction, um, read things that are, take you out of yourself, like, I don't know, New Scientist, um, The Economist. Um, National Geographic, those sorts of things, because sometimes, you know, you get really weird ideas for your own business from something that's absolutely nothing to do with business. 
um, or you get a sense of something that's changing in the world or a, a major wicked problem in the world that could be important that, that you could um, do something about. So yeah, re- reading a lot, you know, trying to get your head around geopolitics. There are some fabulous books around scenarios as well. So there's a book um, called Not Knowing by Stephen D'Souza and Diana Renner. That's not about scenarios, but it's about kind of opening your mind up. That's a great one to look at. Um, and then if you kind of want to dip into some um, scenarios, looking at um, something like The Next 100 Years by George Friedman. So he's written a book that um, some time ago, actually, that um, looked at what might happen in the next 100 years. It's a fascinating journey mm. reading the book. It's some of it, you look at him and think, crikey, you've predicted some of this. <laughs> um, other bits, you think, no, you couldn't have been further wrong. But it's really interesting and it really makes you think. Um, and there's another one, actually, by Mike Pearl, The Day It Finally Happens. And what he does in that book is he looks at lots of different small scenarios. Um, and he actually puts some evidence behind why they might or might not happen. So he, he actually does put some predictive um, analytics behind it. Um, and that's really interesting, too. So, again, it takes you into different areas that's really really powerful talk to people you have nothing in common with or less in common with talk to people that typically you would disagree with get a sense of um, their perspective their ideas and so on if you're having conversations about strategy or the way forward you know involve people if you're in a slightly larger organization involve people from across the organization all different corners people that you maybe have seen be a bit innovative people that maybe have volunteering experience outside of the organization maybe carer responsibilities um, that can give you a completely different perspective. People that use your products um, and even better, people that use your competitors' products. So um, getting a sense of why do they why do they use them over yours, you know? Um, talking to suppliers, regulators, um, and if you're feeling, you know, really brave, maybe um, activists that potentially work against your sector or, or your kind of business. Uh, it depends what kind of business you're in, obviously. Um, and maybe competitor organizations, because sometimes what the future presents is an opportunity for two or three organizations to come together to solve a problem. And that's where you end up with very different um, sector landscape, if you like, in the future. So those are really important. Play around with your routines. So, you know, try and try and do little changes every day, every every week, what have you, to get yourself in that mindset. Um, and, and keep up with tech. So the beauty of being a small business is that you can access lots of technology now across the cloud um, and you don't need to go through a massive major transformation program to roll it out to yourself or um, three or four people that you're working with. So you can use some of the real leading edge technology for collaboration, innovation, um, planning, um, all of those sorts of things. So that's really, really good. And, and I think the biggest thing is probably, you know, imagination is free. Mm. Just sometimes sit there with a cup of tea, open your mind up, just dare to sit there and imagine. Um, think about things a bit differently. Try not to, you know, try to learn and, and open up and not seek to control everything and be that apprentice of the future. You know, play with it. Just just look at it and think, what might happen? What could happen? How might that, um, you know, impact the business? cause uh, an opportunity create a risk whatever that might be I love those wise words Debbie and I think your phrase of become an apprentice of the future is something we should all take away with us from this conversation for sure Um, and as well for those of you listening um, Debbie also has a book Shapeshifter how to master the art of working with the future 
So I'll ensure to add the Amazon link to the show notes. So I highly recommend you also add that to the reading list that Debbie has given you as well. But thank you so much for joining me today, Debbie. Thanks for having me, Lizzie. It's been great having a conversation with you. You've been listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast with me, your host, Lizzie Benton. If you've enjoyed listening and want to keep up with all things culture, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to welcoming you back next week.